In just over a month, America's National Park System will celebrate birthday number 100. We have a lot to celebrate. There are 376 protected areas covering 83 million acres. But there's still room for improvement. When you look at the people who recreate in America's national parks, you'll find that the demographic isn't always representative of the diversity that so characterizes our country. Today's guest is Jose Gonzalez. He leads an organization called Latino Outdoors. That we're trying to create as a community and as a network to connect the Latino cultural heritage and identity and reconnect in relation to the outdoors and our open spaces. A conversation about a movement, empathy, and how this impacts you on today's episode. I'm Ben Shank. You are listening to Mountain Meister. Mountain Meister is supported by Big Agnes. When you lay down on your Q-Core SLX sleeping pad at night, what do you think about? Not much, because you're already asleep. But Big Agnes, they think about tough yet lightweight double nylon ripstop fabric that is backed up by aviation-grade TPU lamination technology, offset minimalist I-beams creating multi-directional support instability, and an inflation valve with a micro-air pressure adjustment button for ultimate precision and quick deflation valve for the ultimate camp breakdown. But hey, let Big Agnes worry about all the technical stuff. All you have to do is sleep. 20% off of your purchase at BigAgnes.com. Use the code MEISTER at checkout. And why is this so important to you? This is important to me for a couple of things. On a personal uh, note, it's a validation of my lived experience and the passion that I have for this work. To know that I am not singly an individual uh, in this field, but that there are others like me, that there is a community that has the opportunity to be better connected and supported so that we can build on the conservation successes of the past. And thus professionally then, I want to ensure that conservation continues to be Define for the protection of our open spaces so that it's also inclusive of the diverse, you know, uh, American public that's going to continue to be more and more diverse. So that's professionally for me. And then lastly, mm-hmm. just as a matter of social equity, for me, it's, it's the right thing to do to ensure that if we truly say that our parks and open spaces are public lands, then that has to be re- reflective of who is the public. Why is it not right now? Why is it not reflective of the public? I would say it's not reflective both through intentional and non-intentional work. In other words, there's the sense that uh, there's institutional inequity and not always strictly by what we'd say like deliberate design. But if we look, for example, at our national park system, it was... Um, created with the specific framework of first preservation and conservation that just did wasn't uh, inclusive of the diversity of, of, of the public at that time. And if we look at how during the you know 50s, 60s, and 70s, the park system itself was really set up for a baby boomer generation, especially from World War II, uh, largely white middle class, and so it was about providing access for that demographic. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's about that is 
a strong representation of the American public mm -hmm. is just incomplete. So as that demographic test shifted and changed, we're looking at, well, did the park system change with it? Mm -hmm. Or do are we struggling with having a park system reflective of the 60s and not of you know, now the, the, the aughts or the 20, uh, 2010s, 2020s, 2030s. Um, and that just takes a lot of work because then the relationships that have existed, the pipelines to career advancement, the ways in which leadership is, um, you know, supported, that all, that all takes time and that requires intentional change, but also the understanding that the way in which I, you know, if, if I am an established park professional, the way that I connected to their doors, the way that I advanced in this space is now different for someone who had different privileges, a different lived experience, different connections, uh, and a different validation of what the outdoors has meant for them. How can we get that to be more agile or, or faster, uh, like a faster transition? Because it seems like there's this big lagging effect, right? The, the, yeah. the demographic changes, but uh, the targeting doesn't. How does that happen faster? Yeah. I would say, well, it goes, you know, sometimes we say classic, <laughs> bottom up, top down. But then for me, it's also uh, middle out. Uh, it, you know, it requires changes at all levels. Like this isn't just strictly a grassroots movement in which you have, you know, activists and advocates pushing from the ground up for institutional change. That's needed. But as you know, if if the institution, if and I'm I'm using institution broadly, um, like the movement. So this isn't about just like national parks, but this is about all conservation organizations, the institutions, the movement as a whole. You can only push up so long if there are enough uh, barriers along the way, right? So that's why it's important to push from the bottom up from uh, those that are the most flexible, right? The most nimble, where you're seeing some of the most um, dynamic programs, changes, individuals, um, but also from the top down in terms of how uh, the leadership of institutions, of organizations, of the movement, uh, you know, take that positive risk to be able to say, we are now going to do this. This is what it's going to look like. Um, this is how we are going to support change makers from within uh, the work. And then from inside, from the middle out, because you have those professionals in the field already, right? You, you have those that have some established relationship, foundations, uh, established connections. And they're the ones that make this work every day. <laughs> and so having them bought in and, and, and engage in even small successes to demonstrate that this is the right way to do it forward. So little things from how do we realistically look at hiring practices? Uh, are there barriers that we're completely unaware of? You know, how do we support and recommend others uh, that come with cultural difference? Uh, so we're not just affirming um, those we're most familiar with. Um, how do we um, bring into the leadership, uh, whether it's our boards, um, promotions, superintendents, those that may have come from a non-traditional career pathway? And this is not to be dismissive of what's already there. 
for me, it's always been how can we add more to it? You know, I always use the analogy of language. If I'm learning, if I know English and I'm learning Spanish, it's not a dismissal of English. <laughs> it's not as if I'm replacing it. I get to now know two languages, right? Say same thing. And I use that, I often use that example because like that used to be, I think it's less so now, but that used to be an issue in, in, in education and language, right? It's like, you know, like what, Spanish? No, this is America. We, we should, you should learn English. I'm like, well, we are. <laughs> what a fantastic analogy. Yeah. That's really, really good. I like the way you put that. Um, let me, I just want to learn more about you on a personal level. How did you, how were you captivated by the outdoors? I was captivated. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've often shared that there's, there's three, um, three, three points. The first one is I'm a first generation immigrant. So I was born in Mexico and up until the age of eight, nine, um, I largely grew up, you know, playing outside a small rural town. Um, and so the outdoors didn't exist for me as a concept, of course, in, in how we think about the outdoors and the mainstream movement, similar to kind of growing, you know, when kids grow up in a farm, you just, you're, you're just out there, <laughs> you, you know, the hills were right outside, the river ran through the middle of town. Um, so it was very recreational, but also, uh, livelihood oriented, um, meaning that I would accompany my grandparents to, to tend to their crops. Um, I would run around. I learned how to ride a horse. I don't know how to do that anymore. Um, and, you know, there were fruit trees all throughout. In other words, it was just very integrated um, into my daily experiences. My, but then migrating to the United States, kind of the second piece that click, I now had a comparison point because I moved to the Central Valley of California and that was a very different out, you know, agricultural uh, outdoors uh, in terms of um, farm worker, you know, farm worker labor and, and, and working with migrant communities and that I now had to really think about traveling to the outdoors and it was through some, you know, elementary school field trips and later on other other um, trips similar to that, that I went to, to, I was introduced to our state parks and our national parks. So now the outdoors had this very, uh, began to get this idea and the concept of a protected space, right? Like this is what a national park is and what it's for. Um, this is what a you know, preserve it. So this is, this is for me was the first time I saw sequoias and that was just, it, it totally blew me away. It was just amazing and outstanding. And so I combined those two experiences to later on when I worked as an undergrad. Um, so in college, I worked for an outdoor ed program in which I was one of several instructors there was a, there was a, you know, as a team, we were all college students, but we were the outdoor instructors for migrant students. And so now we were reflective, um, as instructors of the students we were serving, but also cause that was us just a few years ago. Mm. And so all of a sudden like this was all combined, <laughs> bringing our own lived experience of what it means to have grown, you know, as, as, as an immigrant, but having all these different relationships to land, just like me when I grew up in Mexico. But here we are teaching in and about the outdoors in uh, some of these protected spaces, you know, like having, taking kids backpacking, 
having them sleep under the stars for the first time and trying to like merge and combine these experiences so that it wasn't about letting go of one for another or uh, being dismissive that you couldn't hold both and have this concept that I often say of mestizaje, you know, of mixing, of blending and combining so that ultimately you'd be able to um, leverage the cultural identities of both. More from Jose Gonzalez coming up in a bit. If you would like to support Mountain Meister, you can do it through the purchase of a Mountain Meister t-shirt. It's a great way to do it. We get cash to spend on more podcast expenses. We also get you to spread the word through wearing your t-shirt. If you appreciate this content, go to mtnmeister.com and purchase a t-shirt there. Now back to our interview with Jose. I was originally going to use this conversation and a few others that I had recorded in a story about minorities in outdoor sports, but I enjoyed this one so much and learned so much from it that I feel like it deserves its own interview. I had the idea for this episode after conducting a survey among Mountain Meister listeners. One of the questions was, what is your ethnicity? And as you can imagine, the results were rather one-sided. So why am I even playing this to a bunch of white Americans? How can you be expected to really care about a movement that doesn't affect you personally? That's coming up later in this episode. But first, you heard there how Jose has kind of a unique background getting introduced to the outdoors. Where else can the inspiration be found? Here's Jose. We've begun to get a a bit more of brands reaching out and seeing how we can work together. Um, for us, it's really looking at what's an equitable partnership so that both as Latino outdoors, how we can help represent a brand, but also to connect some of the community members that for us are, you know, make great <laughs> brand ambassadors. But it's not a matter for us just to be able to say, well, here are the people, here you go, and good luck. Um, we really want to look at the way in which... Uh, an ambassador is supported to really have them be representative of themselves. Uh, it isn't because the work that we do, like we say, it's not just about quote unquote, having another brown face on a promotional cover. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately we want a community to relate to that ambassador such that the, it's not just a transactional experience, right? We want it to be really, uh, relational and relationship based because that's matters so much in many of our communities, like the way in which we trust, you know, you look at an example of like, um, take, uh, Latino news media, right? If you compare often how an individual like Jorge Ramos, I don't know if you know him, mm-hmm. but you know, he's, he's the anchor. He's a, he, he's a news anchor. You compare him to, uh, you know, Anderson Cooper, sometimes they're joke that they kind of look similar, but it's very different in how Jorge Ramos is, is, is trusted in many different ways in the community. Uh, and he gets to then be an ad, a better advocate for the issues along as well as being on, you know, share information as well as being, a, an information provider. As I see in terms of uh, the outdoors similar, um, and one of the ways in which we're doing that is REI is actually a partner with whom we started working. And so they've 
been intentional about how both we Latino Outdoors is represented through some of their marketing campaigns and initiatives, but also in us uh, connecting them to some of our community members so that if and when we appear. So like we just recently had a, a blog uh, promote promotion. And so like, uh, you know, like my story has come out there. It's about really then getting to know who these individuals are to leverage that relationship and trust in the community, not just about here's your face on, you know, a flyer on a promotional campaign. Right, right. So it, it sounds great from both angles. When I look at it from the brand's perspective, I love it. I want to have this person who has, uh, who can relate to the broader audience because ideally then that would boost sales for my brand. However, what does the outdoors Latino demographic look like compared to the broader country because I, I guess what I'm getting at is which comes first. Do the brands need to see that there are more Latinos in the outdoors or, mm-hmm. or does, do they need to take on some responsibility to then inspire more to get outdoors? Yeah. No, I don't know if there is a kind of a chicken or an egg scenario. It's really both because here's the thing. Um, when when we have a question like, well, how do we, quote unquote, how do we connect more Latinos to the outdoors, right? To which I say, well, um, that's incomplete because maybe it's how do you not know how Latinos are already connected to the outdoors? Mm. In other words, it may be the case that, yeah, you there's opportunities to inspire new connections, but you also may be blissfully unaware to all the connections that already exist. Mm. So it wouldn't be about like, how do we get more communities to like care, care, connect with the outdoors that we connected to them. Um, it's about like, well, what, what is already happening? Like we have Latino climbers and skiers and snowboarders. We have a lot of Latino, um, outdoor enthusiasts who are engaging in activities just like anybody else. Uh, in addition to having the opportunity to connect new Latino communities, uh, to some of these, you know, outdoor experiences. So that's why I say actually it's the opportunity to do both, uh, because we have these very inspirational athletes who are, you know, summiting peaks <laughs> and others see that. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. Like I want to do that too. And, and that we consistently get that feedback about, um, bringing, down the barrier of not feeling like I'm the only one, not because there's a lack of individuals, but it's trying to tear down that narrative as if there is really a lack all across. I have to be honest, when you say uh, the feeling of being the only one, uh, I'm a white American. I, I don't know if I know what that quite feels like. How, how, yeah. do you, how do you communicate that to somebody who may not know that feeling? Yeah, that's a, that is a really good question. Um, one of the hardest things that we can do is how to uh, understand and engage with difference, uh, especially a difference of lived experience, which is not our own. Like I, I will be unaware of the privilege that I have. So for ex- and to do that, you have to broaden your experiences and you have to be to one is really uh, take a look at, you know, what am I coming with that I presume to be normal and how am I benefiting from that normal or perpetuating it in such a way that I feel that others, you know, are the different. 
And so, so I'm trying to lay that framework there because you say that's a challenge for many individuals. You know, like I'll get a question and I'll be just honest and blunt here. Mm -hmm. So when I have somebody say, well, why, why have a Latino outdoors? I mean, there's no white outdoors. To me, that's a statement of saying because you have a normalized experience. <laughs> the white outdoors is the outdoors. Um, and so if you want to kind of like understand, like, how do I feel like the only, uh, I'm the only one? Put yourself in situations. Uh, well, that will challenge you. Usually we don't because we don't want to feel uncomfortable. But that's the reality for many of our communities. We feel uncomfortable. Um, in terms of how we're welcome, integrated, um, or perceived in a space. But for that is you need to go out there and you need to genuinely ask, understand, go into a community, see how you can be of help and support, not to convert somebody. Um, and lastly, I would say, you know, pay attention to when you put yourself in a new situation in context in which you feel uncomfortable and ask yourself why rather. So, um, I was going to say, you know, ideally this is where travel is the most beneficial <laughs> when we say it's useful to get out there, right. And interact with other cultures. But even through that process, it's about doing it in such a way that you're not presumptuous that, that the other is different in a way that's less than you. Absolutely. And, it, and, and, and this is to note that it's, it is really hard for many individuals. It's really, really difficult, and it's really, really challenging. You know, so much of this podcast has talked about uh, getting outside of your comfort zone, and normally we talk about that in a, a physically challenging way, whether you're trail running or climbing a mountain or polar exploring. This is a different mm -hmm. kind of stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is when we say, um, like this morning I went for a trail run in this beautiful, just beautiful open space. Uh, I got to see the sunrise coming up over you know, a couple of hills in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I'm like, wow, this is classic, gorgeous outdoor setting, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I was out there and you know, there were a few people out there that early in the morning and not one brown face, not one Latino or Latina or African-American um, out there enjoying the trail at that time. But I go there with that conscious awareness of that. And, and I take it then as like, I am here and I belong here just as much as anybody else. Now I will then go and uh, do a trail run around a, a lake in, you know, Merritt Lake in Oakland. And that, the representation there is amazing. Hmm. You know, there's communities from, from all backgrounds, uh, walking, running, <laughs> strolling. And to me, that's a representation that all, you need to be in those spaces to really understand the diversity, not just of the backgrounds, you know, cultural backgrounds, but also of activities, right? The, that trail out there doesn't belong to just the runners. It also belongs to the walkers. It belongs to the strollers. It doesn't just belong to the ones that have uh, the right running shoes or, you know, the branded um, gear. It belongs to the mom with her stroller. You know, it belongs to the families that are just out there for the first time. 
and that when we're out there, we need to push ourselves to ensure that everybody there is having just as good and valuable time enjoying that outdoor space rather than feeling like, well, then, you know, you, you obviously don't look like you fit in here. Uh, and so that's important to put yourself in those spaces uh, rather than just, you know, if I go out into this other trail and I continue to be the only one and there are other individuals out there who stay comfortable in that space. So when they see me, you know, they see me as the one that stands out. <laughs> Whereas I can say, well, you know, in another situation, you're the one that would stand out. And so let's, let's work from there. Jose Gonzalez is the founder of Latino Outdoors. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jose. No, of course. It's a pleasure, Ben. Find out more and see how you can get involved. LatinoOutdoors.org. Don't forget that our sponsor, Big Agnes, is giving you 20% off of anything on their website, BigAgnes.com. This is seriously the kind of deal that doesn't exist anywhere else. This is on their newest products. You should take advantage if you haven't already. Sleep better under the stars this summer or under a Big Agnes tent. Check it out, BigAgnes.com. I hope you enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. Till the next time you hear my voice, I'm Ben Shank. You've been listening to Mountain Meister. Mountain Meister.